Welcome to the Forest FM podcast, episode 163. I'm Killian Vina. And I'm Zoe Bilal Springer. This week on the show, we're joined by Tom Chapman, an award-winning UK-based barber, global ambassador, and international educator whose journey caught our radar. And we're fairly confident it won't take you too long to understand why and start following him too. Whether it's good or bad mental health, it's more about mental fitness. It's about the whole human condition rather than mental health conditions. Everybody that's listening to this has felt disappointed, let down, you know, uh, lost somebody, lost a relationship, whatever that may be. And then when they come to their hairdressers or barbers, they sit and they tell us all those things because they know it's not going to go anywhere else. They have a good relationship and trust with us, and but we're disconnected from their from their friendship group, even though we are probably one of their best friends that's probably known them longer than half of their friendship group. It's great that we do the physical health thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but why are we not focusing on mental health as well, preparing the hairdressers and barbers with those skills? So I think it's just a part of a central service and customer service, being able to listen and help our clients in the chat. Considering the last few weeks on Forest FM, it feels like we've pretty much discussed nothing other than the coronavirus-related topics. Now, we know this is a reality. Businesses, I mean, businesses and the economy have been affected and there's still a lot of uncertainty. But we just felt it'd be nice to change the conversation up a little bit. So what we did was we gathered some feedback from our 30 Days to Grow quarantine participants recently to find out which challenges they found the most valuable. And what we discovered was our mindfulness and self-help days were actually the topics that created the biggest impact among participants, which is a great sign. <laughs> that then leads us to today's guest. Tom is someone who's been on our radar for some time now for all the incredible work he's been doing in the industry. And not only does his work impact barber professionals, but it also impacts those who are lucky enough to sit in their chairs. Absolutely. Tom Chapman has had a fulfilling career, to say the least. And judging by the amount of projects he's currently involved in, he shows no signs of slowing down either. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know who Tom Chapman is, uh, he's a multi-published session stylist and platform artist. He started his career with Tony and Guy in 2001. He then opened Tom Chapman Hair Design in the UK in 2011 and began educating soon after. He now works with many top product brands to help test and develop the latest products before they hit the market. He's also also currently the global barber director for Kuhn Hair Cosmetics, and he's founded the Lions Barber Collective in 2015. Now, the list could go on and on, but we'll keep some of his accomplishments for the interview. So to discuss his widely interesting journey and current projects, we have the pleasure of welcoming Tom Chapman to the show. Tom, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to Forced FM. Uh, thank you for having me on. We don't always have one, but we have an icebreaker question for you uh, today. So, you know those posts on Instagram saying, um, well, here's an unpopular opinion. Uh, let's say desserts with loads of extra chocolate are actually disgusting. Those <laughs> kind of posts. And then you have like thoughts under as a caption. What would be your unpopular opinion just in general? It could be about mental health or barbering or anything like that. Um, oh, my God. That is a really hard one, isn't it? Unpopular opinion. I, I try and be popular, hopefully, most of the time. Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try and get people on my side rather than uh, upset anybody. Um, I don't know. One of, one of the things actually I put out there today, actually on social media, was uh, we're talking about PPE and you know, the importance of it. And I was saying, um, you know, is it really important, all this PPE? How effective is it? And I think about the impact that's going to have on the environment, all this disposable PPE that we're going to be using day in, day out, and how much of that is actually people cashing in on people's fears 
and I got quite an unpopular response to that, but also, it was great, it was kind of 50-50, really. I think, um, yeah, how much of it is people cashing in and taking advantage and how much of it is actually effective. Um, I work with a lot of people in the NHS, and I think a lot of this stuff is more mentally reassuring than physically beneficial, like the masks and depending on what mask you use and mm-hmm. random bits of plastic sheets when you go into shops, you'll have a 20-foot long counter. And then when you go to the till, there's like a two-foot square bit of perspex with a hole in it to put my shopping through, which I've just touched, and then they touch, and then they rub their eye, and then, you know, I don't know. I just think that was a that was an unpopular uh, sort of uh, <laughs> opinion that I posted out today. I'm really kicking it off with a controversial. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes life for sure anyway. All right, well, Tom, look, just to kick off the actual show then, you started, um, like, when you first got into the industry, you were saying it started off just playing with, messing around with a few hairstyles with your friends. Is it fair to say that those days were literally just that it was a hobby, playing around, you just liked working with the Clippers, or did you always know, right, that's it, this is exactly what I want to do? Did you set yourself any goals there and then? Uh, The reason why I was playing around with people's hair and my own hair is because I was really into music. Uh, I was into punk rock and I was giving my friends Mohicans and bleaching my hair, dyeing a different colour every week until I literally, it was just like troll hair when I could just style it about any product. It was absolutely ruined. I'd just shave it off and start again. You know, leopard print hair, all that kind of thing. And that was just because I was so into music and I never really, I enjoyed doing hair, but I didn't see it as a career path. And when I was going through school, you know what it's like when you're at school, there's like goals and targets that are set for you. You go to this higher education and then you go to the next higher education if you're a certain grade level. And I was due to go to university. Um, and I didn't really want to, I, I didn't really want to go. It wasn't anything I particularly wanted to do. And as my parents said to me, why don't you do hair? If you go to university, you're going to get a lot of debt. You don't really want to go and study ancient history and Egyptology, which you're going, which you're going to study. Um, why aren't you going to do hair? And that was the sort of light bulb moment for me. But again, even when I went into the hairdressing industry, music was still my first love, and I was the front man for a few bands, death metal, death core bands, and we did quite well with some of them. Had a few sort of record label offers and contracts and stuff on the plate, but the. Uh, me and the band members had musical differences, shall we say. Always <laughs> <laughs> so then when, when that final band, they sort of split up, I decided that actually I'm going to focus on the hair industry because I always loved doing it. It was never just sort of just a job, but my dream was to be on stage in, in a band. And when I focused on the, the hair industry and opened my own shop in 2011, that's when I could focus on it. And I ended up being on stage anyway, but not screaming down a microphone covered in fake blood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. <laughs> and I feel like judging from your credentials, it's a much bigger stage than you would have gotten in the music industry too. Possibly, yeah. Yeah, who knows, right? Well, listen, like the barbering industry is often pictured a certain particular way in pop culture, whether that's movies, TV shows. Um, what was your impression of the industry before you became a part of it? And did it live up to the expectation? And I guess my second question to that is, if you had to describe the true reality of it to an up-and-comer, what would you say? Um, I think because I wasn't really sort of dreaming of being in the hair industry, I didn't really sort of have that picture of it, but I think when I went into it, it was very much about being a social job, quite a glamorous job, that rock and roll hairdresser kind of thing, you know, um, 
I quite, I like, I'm very social anyway. I've always, you know, uh, like making new friends. You know, whenever I go out for a night out with my friends, I hardly even see my friends. I go off and make new friends. And there's sort of a joke in my group of friends. I'm never actually with them. I'm always with new people, talking <laughs> and meeting new people. And I think, you know, being that sort of social chameleon, and I think it did, you know, uh, live up to its expectation when I first started. Um, I started my career with Tony and Guy. Uh, and one, but one of the guys said to me when I started that um, I would be a counsellor and a therapist as well, be prepared to listen to people, listen to their issues. And I wasn't aware of that. But obviously, as time went on, that became more and more apparent for me. To an up-and-comer, the true reality, I think, I think it's, it's above and beyond what it's perceived as. There's a lot of things that people say, oh, I'm just a hairdresser or I'm just a barber. And I found that in my career when I left school and didn't go to university my teachers and tutors were disappointed in me for not continuing my education and uh, academic studies um, because I was perceived intelligent enough to do so. Um, and going into hairdressing was seen as something you did if you couldn't do anything else. It was seen as, you know, when, and even when I went to Tony and Guy and when I went to college, all the other people that were around me pretty much said to me, why are you here? I wish I'd worked harder at school so I could have gone to uni. Why are you being? Why do you want to be a hairdresser? And it's seen as that something you look down upon. But actually, it's one of the best industries in the world. It's enabled me to travel the world. It's enabled me to write books. It's enabled me to be on stage presenting. You know, all these kind of things. I mean, I got paid to go to Hawaii to cut hair. I mean, I don't think that would have happened if I'd been an ancient in Egyptology, or yeah, I might have been digging in the dirt in Egypt. Maybe if I was lucky, I'd probably been stuck in a museum somewhere. You know, so it's, it is an amazing industry. And I think if anybody's thinking about going into it, I'd say wholeheartedly go for it. It's just a fantastic job where you get to be with people all day, every day, learn so much and you become part of the community, which is really important. And I think it's a space where you can really, truly be yourself as well. Oh, yeah. No matter what you are or how you present. Well, I think if I was working in a museum, I would never have got away with a pink Mohican and neck tattoos and hand tattoos. But working in, <laughs> working in, you know, in the salon, it was, it was acceptable. But even just before we were doing this show, you were saying that you've got not only our podcast you're recording today, you've got two other podcasts and then you have uh, editing a kid's book and working with Paddy McGuinness and Unilever on another project. I'm like, all of that just in one day alone, did you ever think that that's what you were going to be doing when you first walked into the industry? <laughs> not in a million years. No, I mean, I've been really lucky to do the things that I do and working with, you know, being a global barber director for Cune. I mean, I get to well, I helped write their education for them, for the for the men's education, you know, do product development, all the marketing stuff and images that are out there at the moment. That's my work from the photo shoot. So they're in 86 countries worldwide. And you think if you go find a point of sale for 1922 by J.M. Kuhn, that's my work on there, which is just mind-blowing. Absolutely, I'm going to think that, that could ever happen. I never would have even imagined that on my first day in, in hairdressing at all. <laughs> I just want to take it back a little bit to when you were saying you were working in, was it Tony and Guy and someone turned around and said to you, prepare to be a counsellor. Like you've actually had your fair share amount of counselling other people. And is it fair to say that your values and aspirations would have changed quite a bit from? Uh, yes, definitely. Um, I think when I first started, it was much more about the the social side of it. I mean, you know, I went to... Yeah, I went, when I went into the hairdressing world, my friends all sort of said to me, oh, are you gay? Are you, you know, this sort of stereotypes. We were talking 20 odd years ago as well. So a uh, straight guy going into hairdressing, that's not, that's not normal. You must be gay. 
And, you know, I think when I went into it, it was like me, Tony Clark, like me, uh, two other guys who were both gay and about 18 girls. And it was just like a whole new world to me. It was a whole new education being around that many women all the time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, very quickly, my friends realized that I was probably in a better position than them. <laughs> not, not, you know, they used to come and hang out at work, wait for me, come and meet me from work down just to see all the girls. But, um, yeah, and it was like that whole social world was opened up to me. And I thought it was about socializing, parties, fashion, you know, all those kind of things. I think actually as it, as it progressed, I realized it's not all about sound international and being on stage. It's more about the clients in your hand, the, the clients in your hands, you know, and that's far more important and more valuable sometimes than being on stage doing something because that's where our, that's our bread and butter and I think when you're looking after our clients we are we have so much trust on us from our clients we're in such an important position in in society but people just tell us everything people rely on us people um, are so closely linked to us and um, I think I've I started to realize that a bit more and remember one of my managers saying to me it's not all about giving the best haircut it's about the connection with your clients you don't have to give someone the best haircut or the most out there haircut. If you build that collection with a client and give them a good haircut, you're going to build a big clientele. And I think that's something that is overlooked. And I quite often say it on stage, say at Sound International, for example, again, I'll always say that, that you guys have got to remember if our client, if it wasn't for our clients, none of this would exist. None of it. And they're the most important people in our, in our uh, career. So I think as I've gone on, I've kind of realized about that connection a lot more and how we can really help our clients and that we're much more than just a hairdresser or a barber. We're a confidant and a, and a trusted uh, connection and friend. Absolutely. I suppose it all comes down to you're going to go where you feel comfortable. Like you're sitting in that yeah. chair for an hour with, like you said, someone touching you all around the head or whatever the treatment is. You would want to be comfortable to go back to that person again. And that is what it's all about. Absolutely. And I was actually just having a conversation about this uh, with my barber about two weeks ago. It started off with like TV show recommendations and then it got into the topic of trust because he was saying, trust me, watch the show, you'll enjoy it. And I said, you know what, I do trust you. And as weird as it sounds, I feel like I could trust you with pretty much anything. And to that he said that like, no, it wasn't actually weird. It, it made perfect sense in a way because it's such a personal thing to do someone's hair um, and, and to make them look good, feel good, that it, it would you would naturally as a client um, feel inclined to, to trust that person with pretty much anything just because of that strong relationship. Like you'd see your barber, your hairstylist, sometimes even more often than some of your friends. So yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Yeah, definitely. I think we listen. We we're very good at listening. And if we weren't good at listening, we wouldn't be your hairdresser or barber because we wouldn't know what to do to your hair. We'd mess it up, and you'd be like, "They never listen to me." So if you're not a good listener, then that's a bad start. I think that's one of the biggest skills that's undervalued in in the hair industry of being able to be a good listener. And I think that's something that's undervalued in society. Listening, it's a really really difficult skill to actually master. But hair industry are pretty good at it anyway. Just bringing up that whole trusting, I kind of find it interesting because you'd never really have thought about how much you trust your hairstylist or your barber right up until now, when you're now asking your partner to cut your hair. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's like it's really testing the rate of trust at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and there's been some interesting outcomes I've seen. <laughs> I'd say so, yeah. <laughs> So, um, well, here, here's one for you. If you were to choose between working behind the chair or educating the next generation of barbers, which way would you go? 
I would definitely go with educating the next generation of barbers. I think that you know, whichever way we look at it, they are the future of the industry. Mm-hmm. So if you can help mold the future to be better than it is now, then that's really powerful. And that's something that we, you know, we want to do with the with this, the charity and the training we do with that is get it into the curriculum or get it into the colleges at least so that in 10, 20 years' time, our mental health training is just part of the, the whole industry. Everybody's trained. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and imagine what the impact that could have. So I think if you're educating the next generation, you're molding the future. Um, so I think that would be the most important for me. Your education seems to kind of come with a twist when you're educating barbers. You focus a lot on kind of like asking your clients how they are, kind of listening, almost like social listening and picking up if someone, if you're kind of sensing that someone is in a bit of difficulty or needs help. Are your stu- students aware that when they come to you for training, that is what they're taking on as part of the program? Or is that something that you just blend in? I think it's, I think so. The, the barbershop training we developed around recognizing the signs, asking the, asking the direct questions that are probably a little bit uncomfortable to ask sometimes, um, listening with empathy and without judgment, and finally having the knowledge to be able to signpost them to the help they need um, is, is really important. I think it's essential. I mean, we learn about, you know, one of the first sections when you go to college or do your MVQs or whatever the qualification is, and especially in, in America, uh, stateside, it's very big on sanitization and not spreading, you know, not spreading diseases. Uh, you know, loads and loads of pictures of ringworm and psoriasis and head lice, and you know, and that's really, really important. And but actually, in the reality of that, I have probably dealt with that in 20 years of cutting hair a handful of times, a few times, you know, and mostly it's head lice with kids. I've probably very, very rarely had psoriasis or ringworm or any of those kind of things when you come and sit in my chair. However, mental health, we're dealing with every single day, every single client, whether it's good or bad mental health. It's more about mental fitness. It's about the whole human condition rather than mental health conditions. Everybody that's listening to this has felt disappointed, let down, you know, uh, lost somebody, lost a relationship, whatever that may be. And then when they come to their hairdressers or barbers, they sit and they tell us all those things. They offload on us because they know it's not going to go anywhere else. They have a good relationship and trust with us, and but we're disconnected from their from their friendship group, even though we are probably one of their best friends that's probably known them longer than half of their friendship group. So why are we... It's great that we do the physical health thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't do that, but why are we not focusing on mental health as well and preparing the hairdressers and barbers with those skills? So I think it's just a part of a central service and customer service, being able to listen and help our clients in the chair. Especially when you're mostly dealing with men and the biggest silent killer for men is like that suicide. Men find it a lot more difficult to talk. Yeah, well, suicide is the biggest killer in under 45s in the UK and 75% of them are men. So if you're a man and you're under 45, you're more likely to die of suicide than anything else. Globally, it's one every 40 seconds. So, you know, it's it's a huge, huge thing. It's a massive, um, massive killer. And it's something that isn't, talked about and I think guys are socially conditioned to be good at pretending they're okay you know and we do, we, we ask our friends you right, mate but or how's it going you know how you doing but we don't actually mean that it's more of a greeting yeah and I think it's about encouraging guys to go past that and asking them you know hey Killian, how are you doing today 
and actually asking you personally, how are you doing today, rather than, you're right, mate. You know, it's not really a question. It's not really giving that person the permission to be able to talk to them. Um, and I think once we let people know it's okay to talk to myself or whoever, then it's much more, it's, it becomes much more freer. And I know myself when I go out for a night out, I said to my, I go out with my friends for a night out and I see lots of the other people. But now when I go out, you know, uh, the last time I went out before we had this lockdown, I had about five or six people come up to me and recognize me in the t- small town where I live and ask me if I am that person and then tell, proceed to offload all the issues that they're going through and things like that. And, you know, and I'm there to listen. And I think, you know, at first I felt that was kind of scary, but actually it's quite a big honor that people want to talk to me and tell me these things. And it makes them walk away feeling better, you know, and, and effectively it has saved lives. That's incredible. I had to actually, um, like, I couldn't agree more when you were saying that we typically say, how are you getting on or how are things, but don't actually mean it as a question. Because when Zoe first moved to Ireland, that was something that she struggled with, that people would, in the corridor of the office, go, how are you getting on? And Zoe would stop to chat when everyone else would be like, oh, I'm just just kind of saying hello. Like, you're you're not expecting that. But that's how we're conditioned. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So you did a TEDx community talk back in 2018, preventing suicide one haircut at a time. If you're comfortable sharing, of course, what was the story behind that talk? Um, so the, the backstory of that, obviously, I, I lost a friend to suicide about six years ago now, which led, uh, and I, I didn't realize anything was wrong with him. I'd seen him days before, spoken to him. I was completely unaware he was suffering. I found out that he'd taken his own life and um, I think at the funeral I was the one of the first people to enter the, the room that didn't have a seat left so I was like down the front stood right next to him looking back on everybody um, and even then there were still people out the door couldn't get in and I was just looking at it I think it was such a powerful moment for me thinking look at all these people here and I could see all the expressions on their face. So normally you'd see the back of their heads, wouldn't you? You wouldn't see anyone's faces. And I think that kind of just seeing that, looking at the love and the, and the loss and, and all those people that were there cared for him, yeah, he felt so alone. And I think that impacts me a lot to think we need to do something about it. And it wasn't until a year later that the Lions Bible Collective was formed and it was meant to be a one-off project. Uh, creating a lookbook of men's images with 30 barbers to raise money for charity. And one of the guys suggested, uh, there were a lot of suggestions coming in around now cancer mostly, but I wanted to do something different and something that needed awareness. And Paul Mack from Ireland actually uh, suggested suicide prevention. I just thought, how did I not even think about that as a charity? Because I was completely unaware there was any mental health charities or resources or suicide prevention charities. So I thought if I've been affected, how many people out there have been affected or have lost people or are thinking about taking their life and don't know where to turn. So that's why we had to go with that. And then it kind of grew and grew and grew. Mm -hmm. And the TED Talk, actually, I had an email from them inviting me to come and do one about the Lions Barber Collective and the project and the Barber Talk training and making Barber's Chairs safe spaces. Um, And at first, I opened the email and clicked on red straight away and shut my laptop. <laughs> I was just like, I can't deal with that. And <laughs> my wife actually said to me, what are you, what's wrong? What are you? Yeah, she figured it out straight away. Something was up. And I told her, but because we watch a lot of TED Talks ourselves, we, we held it in high regard. So my anxieties and 
were just through the roof straight away. And she she sort of made me do it really, and she coached me through it. And um, she was actually pregnant at the time, and the and the date of the, the date of the talk was two days after her due date. Oh wow! No so she, she, yeah, I know. I was just <laughs> I can't do it because yeah, that's the easy way out. I can't do it. It's so fine. Um, but she made me do it. She coached me through it. And to have a script, you have to write a script. It has to be improved, and you have to everything, everything off by heart. And I've just said that's not how I work. I cut hair and tell people what I'm doing when I'm on stage. So it's kind of like Shanghai behind. But um, I managed it. I managed managed to get through it in the end. It was really difficult. There was a thousand people watching live, and thirty five thousand people live streaming on the day, um, which they told me just as I was about to go on stage. And it was, it's so weird. This was like the first time, really, I'd been on stage by myself with nothing, no hair, not a clipper in sight, nothing, just me. And my wife, two days overdue, sat like, just off to my left thinking, I'm just have the baby now, please have the baby now. <laughs> um, but it was, it was fine. I, I can't watch it back now, but I still can't watch it back. It brings back the anxieties that... Uh, that I had back then brings back the fear, but it was it was something that I needed to do. And I think you know, it's like anything in life, if you every time I've ever excelled or gone on to the next level, I would perceive the next level in my career, it's always been when I've done something that was completely outside of my comfort zone. I know that's a total cliche, and it's been said a million times before, but I think that's the only time you, know, you look at it and grow. And that's the every every time I've grown is when I've done something completely out of my comfort zone. Just take me to the next level. Well, I have to say, having watched uh, the talk back, it's 10 minute talk, it's TEDx Exeter, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You look like you're born to be on it. Like you look so natural on it. I actually find it hard to believe that it was your first time doing anything like that. And yeah, I'm not just was, saying that. Like, oh, yeah, you come across so well. We have, you see, yeah, because like I said, you have to write a script, you have to submit that, and they have to make sure everything's right. And you have a sign language uh, translator person there next to you as well. So you, they learn your script, so you have to say what oh, they're so it's so, Yeah, exactly. So you have to be, it has to be exactly word for word. And they had the day before we had dress rehearsals, and they had speech coach, like uh, speech, speaking coaches there and stuff. And I just couldn't get it. I just could not get it at all. You're not allowed to have cue cards. It's just like, I was just thinking, oh, I can't do it. And then you've just got this little, you've just got this little timer going down, counting down in front of you. I'm like, please go faster. Just go, just go. And it wasn't until I was literally outside, outside, uh, probably 20 minutes before I went on, I was like hiding around the back of the building and just, I, I was going through it and going through it. And I just got it once. I did it the whole way through. And I was just like, right, that's it. I'm not saying it again, not practicing it again. I know I can do it. I can do it. I went out and did it. I've, I don't know how, but I just went out and did it. And I, one of the main things a speech, uh, speaking coach said to me is break it down into five parts on your fingers. So if you get lost, you know where those five parts. He said, if you do miss anything, he said, don't worry. They're not going to come on. They're not going to come on stage and drag you off. But I think that kind of his reassurance made me relax a little bit. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest, best bits of advice anyone's ever given me about public speaking was remember the people there, they want you to succeed. They don't want you to fail. They're there to enjoy you. They're not there to sit there and critic, you know, critique you and you know, take the mick out of it. It is literally they are there to enjoy you. I think that's the best bit of advice you can have because most people just go, oh, you'll be all right, mate. You'll smash it. You're yeah. fine. You're like, that doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> like someone who tells you to go do Britain's Got Talent or something like that. Oh, yeah, go do the X Factor. You're great. Yeah, you'll be fine. <laughs>
So you certainly, uh, you're certainly a man that likes to take on challenges that I suppose are probably bigger than what you feel you can accomplish at the time, which brings us on to, to your next project, which is the £1.7 million haircut, which is actually a film. Well, the thing is, this, this kind of came about, we had loads and loads of um, interest from those different production companies getting in touch with us all the time about making documentaries and, you know, just like, okay, cool. But then... There was a little bit of concern. I was speaking to somebody. When we filmed our Barbital training videos, which you can see online on the website, the guys who we were filming them with, I was there with like a, a production company locally. I was telling them about all this interest. One of my concerns were always, if you sign everything over to a production company, how do you make sure the message goes out there right? How do you make sure, you know, for something that's so personal to me, it's my baby, the Lions Barber Collective, and I'm very passionate about mental health and suicide prevention. So how do we make sure that we're put out there in the right light if we go with another production company? And they suggested that we, why don't we just do the project ourselves? And they had connections with different people. And, and I was just like, why not? Let's just go for it. Let's go for it. And, um, and the idea was, it, it was a, it followed us over, I think it's probably about eight, eight or nine months making the film and followed us through some really key sort of events for the lions. Our first barber talk live training in London. Um, we, uh, we were at the, uh, the Worshipful Company of Barber Surgeons at the Barber Surgeon Hall in, in London, which I don't know if you know what that is, but it's, the, uh, it's one of the livery companies of London, of the city of London, the original city that was uh, founded by King Henry VIII. Um, so we were in the hall, we had, a, we had a presentation there, and we cut hair. It was the first time hair has ever been cut on that site, and it's over 700 years old. And it's the Worshipful Company of Barbers. Um, and we did it underneath uh, a painting, a Holbein's painting of King Henry VIII's portrait. And it actually, that original painting actually had burn marks, singe marks on it from when the original building was burnt in the Great Fire of London. And they, removed, they were removing the treasures. And it's got a singe mark on the side of the painting from the Great Fire of London. So that was like a, that's like a historic thing to be the first people to ever cut hair in there, which is just incredible. Um, and, and, and then along the way, we followed the journey of, you know, a life lost. I, I spoke to the, the sister of, the, of my friend. Uh, I haven't spoken to her since the day of the funeral. Um, also, we interviewed the, the, the first life we saved as the Lions Barber Collective. He, was, he spoke about his story actually in the Worshipful Company of Barber Surgeons, um, in the Barber Surgeons Hall. And then I, I spoke to his parents for the first time as well, which is quite emotional should we say yeah. but along the way we found out a lot of stuff about the economic costs and the economic burden of, of suicide through talking to dr peter aitkin who is a lead for suicide prevention and also we spoke to the crime commissioner of devon and cornwall and she was telling us that up to 84 percent of police time is spent on non-criminal activity wow. and their sole purpose is to deal with crime and when I told, asked her what that 84% consisted of, pretty much everything she listed was mental health. Wow. Because one of the things, you know, suicide used to be a crime. So it wasn't until 1960-something, I can't remember the exact year off the top of my head right now, but it was uh, made, it wasn't, it was sort of, it wasn't a crime anymore, basically. But, um, but they're still the first point of call for most suicidal mental health crisis moment, crisis moments. And it's not actually their job. But if they're not there, who do we who do you call? turn to? Yeah. 
yeah so it was really interesting and it was it was a it, it was weird presenting the documentary and getting my louis through on but um <laughs> i don't know it was it was it was a really interesting journey i'm, I'm excited to let everybody see it I don't think I ever want, want to watch it ever again because I've watched it about four million times and had to do all the <laughs> subtitle checks and that the other day. So watch it all and make sure the subtitles are in the right place and my time points and stuff. But yeah, it's uh, it's really exciting to let other people see a little bit of an insight into what goes into Lions Barber Collective, how much work goes into it, you know, yeah. how we need to become sustainable and, and continue as a charity. Absolutely. How did you find the process of making the film emotionally speaking because like you said eight nine months it's a long time you're talking to a lot of people it can bring up a lot of feelings mm -hmm. as well how did you kind of deal with that it was it was difficult we met a lot of we met a lot of people along the way who've been affected similar and a lot of stories that they shared um i think I, two of my friendships within the lions have got stronger because of the film um and also you know working with the same sort of cameramen and stuff like the relationship with those guys and what they've gone through and the stuff that they've learned. And one of the guys had two, two friends of his, one of the cameramen had two friends of his take their lives whilst we were making the film. Um, so it was really, yeah. I mean, and then, you know, I think meeting Paul's parents and seeing the impact it had on them, because I, I know that I was a big catalyst in him in not taking his life, but meeting his parents for the first time and having that realization that I was almost like I've saved his life. He's my friend and he's still here. And that's amazing that he's still, with, he's still with me, mm -hmm. but actually the impact of how, how far that impact goes and being an being a parent, you know, thinking if someone had done that for my, my little boys and the impact of that has, it's just, it's really powerful seeing them, seeing, seeing how grateful they were for it, for him being there. I never really, I, I don't know, I kind of sort of shrugged it off a little bit, do you know what I mean, until that yeah. that moment. You don't see the chain reaction, you just see the person in front of you. Yeah, exactly. And it's great that, you know, he's still here and he's an amazing part of the charity now and great to have him with us still. And he's obviously it's still a recovery for him as a journey, but just uh, to see how it has impacted all the other people around him which I, it's not in my, it's not in my vision, it's not in my circle, do you know what I mean? So I didn't know them, so yeah. now I do, and I think that is, that's quite a powerful part, and probably, probably the, I don't know, probably the most sort of rewarding emotionally, but also quite draining emotionally at the same time, you know? Yeah, you might need a bit of a, a month of rest after that. <laughs> <laughs> no chance. After the premiere. <laughs> no chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly, no chance. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of which, like you take on so many projects, like you've said, a lot of them seem very emotionally demanding. Have you ever woke up or and even just taught to yourself, like, have you ever felt so overloaded or overwhelmed and just taught to yourself, what am I doing here? Like, is it even worth it? Is there any impact? Like, what motivates you to keep on going? Have you ever felt like just giving it all up? Yeah, loads of times. I have, I have, honestly. I've, I think, yeah, I've had points where there was, I mean, there's one really po big point quite early on where uh, it was the launch of the launch of the lookbook and something happened. It was like, the, I was going to be there, but it was my wedding and it was launching the day after my wedding. And I was like, I'll be there, I'll be there. And I was like, actually, no, I can't be there the day after my wedding. I'm not. And this thing happened. There was a bit of a catastrophe and I just thought, I can't even do this anymore. Like, what's the point, you know? 
I just thought, actually, I can't not do this. And I think every time I've had these points where, like, there's been a few points I've seen. I remember one point I was driving along and just had to pull over to the side of the road and just think, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? I can't do this. And I just think, well, how can I not do this? You know, the impact is we're actually saving people's lives. And, it's, and it has progressed. And I think I could have, there's lots of points where I could have just nipped in the bud and stopped. Yeah. But then I think about the other people that may, may have perhaps potentially taken their lives if I had. So I feel a sort of sense of duty, and I think sometimes there's this, there's huge rewards to it. Um, and I think since my life has been involved with the charity and mental health, I think I've actually had my mental health affected. I don't think I ever did beforehand. Um, and there's, but there's like lots of peaks and troughs. Like my my life is so like one minute it's like top of the world, you know, and then next minute it's like how am I going to get paid because I'm volunteering half my time to charity, most of my time to charity. Like I need money to do this and pay for my family and I need to do this. And then the next day I'm like, I get a, I have to do a TED talk or I get, you know, uh, a film coming out or we've just been filming a pilot for a potential TV show that, you know, and things like that, you know, they sort of like, you know, oh, this is amazing. So example, the pilot TV show, I get example, I get uh, asked to do that by a production company get signed to their agency, they're talking about it, Channel 4 and BBC are really excited and into it, and then, like, some of the people perhaps don't, then they've lined up, don't want to be in it, and then let's say you drop down, and then next thing you know, you know, Ramesh Raghunathan's been involved with us doing this, so, like, you're like, oh, this is brilliant, so he's on board, and then, like, he dips back down again because they're like, oh, this is, do you know what I mean? So it's like, it's such a, like, ups and downs, whereas if I had the salon, and I was just working in the salon, it was like... Emotional roller coaster. Yeah, exactly. It's just like in the summer, I got up, I went to work every day. I saw all my clients. I finished around six, maybe seven, and maybe ten. If I've got those of my mates that decide they want a haircut that night, you know. But, <laughs> and then that was it. And then there's repeat, you know. And it's kind of quite steady. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like steady, steady. You know, get up, go to the gym. I don't really have any routine anymore. You know, so I'm either traveling around the world doing stuff with Kune, or I'm like training people or like i mean the day it's like covid come in we were meant to be doing a pop-up barbershop for the lions barber collective promoting mental health in the stadium at cardiff city before the game like oh, cutting no the fans cutting the fans hair and stuff but obviously because of covid we can we can do that anymore yeah so you're like this is gonna be really good and then covid comes in like, oh we can't do that we're meant to be at cardiff blues we're going to be doing stuff with like there's loads of stuff we're going to be doing extra chiefs rugby and all these things are really exciting things, and then it's like, nah, and that's something that just doesn't happen, or things are really exciting and teased and they don't come off. Um, so there's lots and lots of ups and downs, but I'd say that the ups and the rewards are so huge. You know, when someone tells you they saved your life, or I had I had a quote that was sent to me, someone sent to me the other day saying, Tom and the Lions Barbers will never know that they saved my life. And it was someone had sent, someone had sent that to a friend of mine, and then they sort of, anonymously copied it to me and think, well we're impacting people we don't even realize i think how can i ever stop doing this i just need to get it to a point that's sustainable and that all the either all the industry is trained or i don't know whatever so that if i'm not here anymore or if i can't do it anymore then it's going to continue that's the that's the sort of goal now it's like it becomes your life work and, and your legacy as well to to the industry to people around you yes definitely i think it's kind of become Someone asked me if I could still get nervous going on stage and cutting hair. And I think sometimes I do, but I think generally, if I go on stage and do a haircut, 
Like when I was in Australia, it was a queue, and there was like 1,500 people, 2,000 people there cutting hair. I decided to do a mullet because this guy was like, he was just like up for it. I was like, yes, let's do it. Within Australia, you've got to have a mullet, you know? So, so I did it, and I just thought, you know, if, if people don't like it, then it's an opinion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, if they think, oh, he's rubbish with cutting hair, or I don't like mullets, it's like, okay, that's fine. You know, and they can't, can, anything I can control is my own thoughts and actions. I can't control anyone else's. So, okay, that's fine. You know, and I'm kind of a, I'm kind of okay with that. But if I go out there and I'm training barbers to recognize the signs and ask the questions and listen and, and be able to help those people and potentially save lives, if I get that wrong, that's someone's life in, at risk. Mm-hmm. So, like, I just see this, you know, I think if I'm ever a bit nervous about anything, it's more about that. Because, you know, hair is amazing. It's an amazing industry. But I think, you know, when you're talking about people's lives, it's just another level, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, the stakes are very different, to say the least. Listen, Tom, just earlier you were mentioning how COVID-19 put a stop to a few of your plans. Now, we're all in lockdown, but you've actually managed to get an app developed for Barber Talk during this time, and that's now available, yeah? It is available now, yeah. yeah it's available on Android and Apple Store, yeah. So do you want to walk us through it, as in what and whom it's for, how it works? Yeah, I, well, the idea for it has been there for a long time, and I think the... The idea was it's barbers and hairdressers looking after barbers and hairdressers. If we're expecting people to be able to listen and and take on all these people's worries and concerns and potentially crisis, then where do they go? Who can they talk to? And how can they find help? So the idea was to build this Barber Talk app, which essentially was going to be built around like a forum, an online chat room that people can go and offload if they want to, like, anonymously or whatever they can just go and they can just or they can ask questions to people in there you know someone sat in my chair today and told me this is there a place i can send them that you know of kind of thing you know in a kind of community um, and when i looked into it it was just cost like phenomenal amounts of money to build an app and as it's very a very small charity with no staff at all it's like how can i justify to the trustees that we need to raise this money to build an app when there's so many other things that we need to do to be sustainable and uh, where it's at, WIA apps, uh, WIA Barbers, the app company that made it for us, and Colleen over there, she got in contact with me and said, would you like it for free? We'll do it for you for nothing. So they like, donated their time to build this app for us. Um, and it's got, it's got quite a few features in Like The main one is obviously the forum, but we've got mindfulness tips on there that are bespoke to the hair industry. I did a couple of interviews with... Well, they interviewed me, these mindfulness experts, and then came up with some tips that are a bit more sort of bespoke to our industry. It's got like a, a sleep uh, meditation hypnosis soundtrack on that was donated to us by someone who, a hypnosis expert that does that. Um, it's got the five tips to mental well-being on there. It's got loads and loads of bits and pieces on it. And I think it's just about trying to give that little tool to the hair industry for free so they can look after themselves as well, because it's so important. But one of my favorite things on there, which hopefully we can kind of get a bit more um, once we get back to cutting hair, we can get it active, is the, is the client care form. Because it's really hard to collect data around people who don't take their lives and, and people who, who are struggling. Because most people, I think it's over half people that, uh, don't, uh, that take their lives have never, ever seen any help. Um, so how do we... How do we actually like cut the data around that? It's quite easy to cut the data around people who have taken their life. It's a definite thing. Yeah. 
So the idea of the client care form is that you, as the barber or hairdresser, fill in your details, give it to your client, and there's five questions that will ask or answer, uh, yes or no questions, they answer anonymously. And through those yes or no questions, things like do you trust your barber, do you feel better for talking to your barber, would you talk about your mental health with your barber or hairdresser, those kind of things that are in there. We can hopefully collate some data to prove that the hair industry does actually make their clients feel better about themselves, does actually listen to their, their, their clients, it can actually help with people's mental health. So that when I go back to Parliament next time, I can actually go to them and say, look, these are the facts and figures that are coming in. The hair industry is on the front line. It's dealing with these things. It's helping people and try and push the barbershop training into the curriculum. Um, but the problem is, you know, testimonies and things don't stand up in, in Parliament. They want data, facts and figures, and how much economic burden it's going to cost or how much it's going to relieve that burden how many people it's helping. Yeah, unless you've got the numbers, it doesn't, doesn't, doesn't hold up. So hopefully with this app, we'll be able to get some sort of statistics coming back through and so that we can actually sort of prove a point that the hair industry is really important to, to the nation's mental health. Sounds like a brilliant idea, to be honest. Like it's quick and easy. And just to get those stats alone, I mean, it's worth trying. Yeah, well, everything's worth a try. We just, need, we just need the hair industry to download the app and do that with their clients that's it so we just need the industry to do it so it's a call, of, call to action for the industry to just download the app and at the end of every client ask them these give me your phone then tap five questions yes or no so that's called the barber talk app and it's available on both the apple store and the google play store is that right that's correct yeah yeah excellent so it's available now we'll include the links for that and how do we um view your movie when's it released where do we go to watch it and is there anything else that you'd like to share uh yeah, so if you want to go and see the film it's uh it's available to pre-order now on vimeo on demand if you go to the 1.7 million pound haircut um the one and the seven are numbers so it's the one number 0.7 number million pound haircut.com um, you can go and pre-order it there. We're just waiting for confirmation from a big streaming service whether it's going to be available on there. Um, but I'm just keep on refreshing. I'm like, please hurry up so I can tell everybody if it's going to be on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you can go over to the lionsbarbercollective.com. Uh, visit there. You can find all the information on there, contact details, all that, all our social media stuff. Um, and if the most, if you don't do anything else today. Um, I would say head over to the uh, lionsbarbercollective.com and complete the Barber Talk Lite training. It'll take you under 20 minutes. Get that done. And uh, once you have, you'll be able to you'll be a bit closer to be able to recognize the signs, ask the right questions, listen with empathy and without judgment. And finally, have a bit more knowledge about where you can send those people, signpost them. And when you do, you'll get an online certificate, online social media post, and you get put onto our uh, Lions Google map as well. That's amazing. We'll absolutely link that in the blurb with our show as well. And when we post it or publish this online as well. Listen, Tom, thanks so much for joining us on the show and sharing your incredible journey and everything that you've been doing so far. So thank you. Brilliant. Thank you so much for having me on and you know, allowing me to you know, spread the word and spread the roar of the lions a little bit more. And, you know, I never know. I think it's really important to do these things and take every opportunity because if there's somebody listening out there, who may need a bit of help or make this 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 conversation may have been able to make it a bit easier for them and that's so important i think just let everybody know it's okay to talk to you and uh also you know just be prepared to listen to people not try and solve their problems just give them that platform to talk 
Absolutely. Yeah, listening is the important part of that. So thank you so much. It was a real pleasure to have you on today. Thank you so much, guys. Hey, guys, Zoe. And Killian here. There's a lot going on in the world right now, and things are changing fast. This is a short reminder for you to stay safe and on top of all the latest and factual news. Your starting point should be your governing health services website. To help you navigate this crisis, Forest Salon Software has also a variety of business resources available. Check out our Help Juice page, the Forest Academy Learning Portal, the Coronavirus Best Practice page at forest.com forward slash C19, the Forest Blog and Podcast, and our multiple on-demand webinar recordings at forest.com forward slash resources. And one last thing, don't Don't be be scared, scared, be be prepared. prepared. So moving on then to the Inside Forest segment, to be honest, we don't actually have a lot to talk about because we're working on some very big projects, as we've already mentioned. And for anyone that listened to our monthly roundup episode with Paddy, we do have some new stuff on the horizon and you can expect to see that released over the next few weeks. So we'll talk about it then. However, as always, you can log into your Forest Academy to check out any courses to help you get the most out of your forest system or even catch up on some coronavirus related webinars for working on your business. The two most recent courses there are the SMS and email marketing campaigns course and the online gift cards course. Again, you can expect to see more courses being uploaded there soon. And finally, as we mentioned in last week's episode, we're hard at work on reopening content at the moment, but you should see a few updates coming your way later this week. What I can say for now, though, is that we'll be switching up the content on the forest.com forward slash C19 page. So make sure you bookmark that URL as we'll be adding information, templates and more reopening resources there for you. And for those of you who've already signed up to receive the Forest COVID-19 resources weekly email updates, you'll see that in today's one, you'll have received a survey. It takes about five minutes to fill out and it's really going to help us understand your priorities and needs during this time. So if you're subscribed to those weekly updates, we strongly encourage you to fill out this week's survey. One last thing before we sign off, don't forget to head over to force.com forward slash FM and get all the updates and guests, downloadable content and resources delivered straight to your inbox weekly on Wednesdays. On that note, that's all we got for this week. But as always, if you want to share your thoughts on the show or this episode specifically, send us an email at forcedfm at forest.com or leave us a review on Apple Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, stay safe and we'll catch you next Monday. All the best. This episode was edited and mixed by Audio Z. Great music makes great moments. Montreal's cutting-edge post-production studio for creative minds looking to have their vision professionally produced and mixed. Forest FM, the Salon Owners Podcast, is brought to you by Forest Salon Software. We help salon owners get their clients back in more often, spending more, and generating referrals. Let's grow.